0: Thanks for checking out the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Zamprin. COVID is still a thing, especially for seniors. We're also talking about housing, a new luxury hotel, Blue Monday, saving at the grocery store, and getting you ready for tax time. The GMH podcast starts now.
1: This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML.
0: Oh, we know COVID-19 is still a thing. It's still a thing. I'm, I'm sorry to tell you. For those who don't believe it, well, believe it. So much so that the McMaster University is calling for more help to protect seniors from COVID-19. Let's find out about this. Dr. Don Bodish is a tenured professor of pathology and molecular medicine at McMaster University and Canada Research Chair in Aging and Immunity with the DeGroot Institute for Infectious Disease Research. Dr. Bodish, welcome to Good Morning Hamilton. How are you? Hi, thanks so much for having me. How would you describe the current COVID situation when it comes to seniors in this city?
2: Well, it's stable, but terrible. So what I mean by that is that there are a lot of hospitalizations for COVID across the country. It's still the number one cause of hospitalizations for people over 50. And what that means is that all our older adults who live in the city of Hamilton are at risk of getting to a hospital with an infectious disease, which we know from decades, be it flu or pneumonia or any other infectious disease, that if you're hospitalized, the older you get, the less likely you are to return to the same level of function that you had before you went to the hospital. So really, it can be a very disabling event and cause older adults to lose their independence, uh, to need rehabilitation, to possibly need a long-term care bed. And that's not something any of us want.
0: So are we seeing more uh, infections and more hospitalizations when it comes to seniors and COVID in this community?
2: This is this we're definitely in sort of a wave that perhaps is getting close to plateauing at a high stage but I think one of the things that people don't realize is we focus so much on advances in preventing people from dying. So if you get covid and get sick enough to end up in the hospital, the chance of you dying is pretty low like about 1%, a little bit more if you're older. But just the process of getting into that hospital Uh, is enough to really weaken you and cause you to lose muscle mass and to lose functional ability. So this wave uh, is not particularly deadly or no more deadly than the previous Omicron waves, but it is a lot of hospitalizations, and that's a lot of families that are going to be struggling with helping the older adults in their lives get back to the life they once had.
0: And are we seeing that because fewer and fewer people are getting COVID shots?
2: That's exactly right. So, one of the things that we know is that the period of protection you get from both symptomatic infection and from hospitalization is shorter the older you get. And we, you know, it's we're always playing catch up with each of these new variants. Every time I think I can tell you what the magic number is of how many weeks or months you get, we get a new variant. And so then we have to start the count again. But it looks like six months. Um, you start to see a decline in your protection from being really seriously ill and hospitalized if you're over 50 or 60. And unfortunately, we're not seeing the uptake in vaccination in that age group. And I think there's a lot of reasons for that. Because everything changes so quickly with these different variants, our family doctors and our specialists aren't always 100% clear on when a person should be vaccinated. Lots of people have had COVID, so they're unclear how long they have to wait until they get their next shot. But if you're an older adult, you don't want to be more than six months out. And if you haven't got your, your shot this fall yet, you can still go. There's still a lot of COVID in our community, and it's a great time to go get it.
0: Dr. Don Bodish is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Dr. Bodish is a tenured professor at McMaster University and a Canada Research Chair in Aging and Immunity with the DeGroot Institute for Infectious Disease Research. So what do you want to see done about this? What improvements should we be making?
3: I want
2: to see people understand just how serious COVID still is for an older adult. And I think one of the challenges, especially if you imagine a grandchild and a grandparent situation, grandchildren, especially young ones, get sick all the time. And sometimes it's serious and sometimes it's not serious. And sometimes they're sick for a few hours. And um, we often sort of, we don't test them anymore. And so we don't know what they have. And so oftentimes you'll bring grandchild to grandma or grandpa, and that can actually end up being a really serious infection with grandma and grandpa. So one of the things I think is really important for people to understand is that vaccines are available to everybody who's over uh, six months old in Canada right now to help protect the entire community and that we really shouldn't be socializing, especially with vulnerable people, if we have any symptoms at all. Or if you are going to socialize, why not wear a mask and just make sure that you're giving them every chance they can to be protected from getting an infection. might not be bad for you, but it could be really bad for them.
0: We've heard uh, the term long COVID, and certainly there's still short-term impacts as well. Is that long COVID a reality for many older adults as well?
2: Absolutely. So uh, older adults are susceptible to long COVID. We know that there are increased risks of heart attack, uh, re-hospitalization for other conditions. Um, we know that from decades of work that uh, hospitalization for a serious respiratory infection can accelerate the path to dementia. It's a little too early to say that in the context of COVID. However, we do know that there are there is some evidence in, in cognitive changes in people uh, who've survived a serious COVID infection. So you put it all together and your your, your vaccines and you're protecting yourself. It's an investment for both the short term and the long term.
0: I'm sure there's many people listening right now thinking, ah, COVID, it's over. Like I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm good with it. But I mean, there's other people in our society, as we're discussing now, that it's, it's still a, a big risk, risk factor.
2: Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the things we just need to think about is being as kind as possible. If there's someone in your life who's undergoing chemotherapy, or some other immunosuppressive event, or if they're older, or if they've got a lung or a heart condition, maybe have the conversation about making sure that they're still included in family events and outings by saying, you know, would you feel better if we wore a mask? Or, you know, what what do you need for us to feel safe? I, I find it, you know, this time of year is so difficult because it's not like we can socialize outdoors or we can have family barbecues and things like that. So having those conversations with people who might be more vulnerable in your life, making sure they're still included, but they're protected at the same time, I think it's, you know, something we can do just to be a, a kinder, gentler, more inclusive group of people.
0: Dr. Bodish, I enjoyed our conversation this morning. Thanks for your time and enjoy the day. Thanks so much. Take care. That is Dr. Don Bodish, tenured professor of pathology and molecular medicine at McMaster University and also the Canada Research Chair in Aging and Immunity with the DeGroote Institute for Infectious Disease Research, calling the current COVID situation when it comes to seniors in the city stable but terrible in the same light.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: I'll tell you what needs to get hot, apart from the weather. That's the housing market. And I'm not talking about buying and selling homes. I'm talking about building homes. We need a ton more homes built in this city, in this country. Because as we know, immigration numbers are going to be skyrocketing over the next couple of years. One and a half million new immigrants to this country over the next, what, three, four years. And so uh, later on this morning, In just over an hour from now, there's going to be an announcement in Ancaster about uh, modular homes and how the federal government is going to be supporting a Hamilton region modular home manufacturer, which is great news because we need more of these homes to be built. Philomena Tassi is the minister responsible for the Federal Economic Development Agency for Southern Ontario, FedDev Ontario, and also a local Liberal MP and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Philomena Tassi, good morning. How are you?
4: Good morning, Rick. Fantastic.
0: How about you? I'm good. Let's get to this housing talk because we all know we need more housing. What needs to be done to get that more housing built? Because we have interest rates that are sky high, developers looking at the return on investment thinking, I don't know if I can build it uh, if I'm not getting the return. How do how do we move the ball forward to get homes built?
4: Well look at Rick I think you know we recognize in Hamilton and we have for a number of years I've said I think since 2021 that housing is a top priority and it's really important that our government takes a all hands on deck approach and and that's really what we're doing today's announcement is an example of that so, you know, you've heard me talk about the many investments that our government has made since 2015, whether that's the Housing Accelerator Fund, the one most recently announced of 93.5 million or the uh, Co-Investment Fund, fantastic results there, the YWCA on Ottawa Street built. Um, the, it's critical that we ensure we're doing everything we possibly can because We know the importance of having a safe and secure place to call home. Today's announcement is an example of not just having this rest in the Minister of Housing's file, but also in the RDAs, the regional uh, development agencies across um, the country. And so for me, representing the Ontario RDA, FedDev Southern Ontario, today's announcement is is about um, investing in innovation in order to get homes built faster.
0: And so you're going to be at BECC Modular, which is a modular home manufacturer. Could this be the next big thing?
4: Well, look, I think that it's not, as many people have said, there's no silver bullet. This is, this is uh, an area where we all have to be working on ways that we can get homes built faster. I think that the Housing Accelerator Fund, where we're working directly with cities in order to get the, to reduce the red tape, to remove the construction barriers this is important today's announcement is an is also another layer to that and um i'm really excited about this it's fantastic that we're able to make this announcement in hamilton uh beck modular doing great work a company that started i believe in 2021 and has grown exponentially and we as a government want to invest in innovative approaches that are going to get those homes built faster. Today's announcement is an absolute example of that.
0: Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Philomena Tassi, Liberal MP for Hamilton West, Ancaster, Dundas, and also the minister responsible for FedDev Ontario. I I spoke about immigration numbers spiking over the next number of years. We know that more people are coming in. We don't have enough homes for the people who are here now. Does it make sense, or maybe this is already being done, is the federal government re-looking at its immigration strategy when it comes to housing?
4: So, you know, Rick, it's a, I know it's a question that's on um, people's minds. I'm, you know, hearing from my constituents. And I think it's important to recognize that this is a complex issue. And we as a government want to take a balanced approach. Look, as the minister responsible for federal economic development, I want to support Canada taking a real leadership role in the sustainable jobs front. When you look at investments that we are making, for example, in the EV space, you look at ArcelorMittal de Fasco these jobs that we are creating um, need people we need a workforce and so we don't want to miss opportunities we want to ensure that we have the skilled labor that is there so it's always a balance i'm not a believer in necessarily closing our doors to newcomers i don't know i don't believe that that's the solution having said that uh, we have to ensure that we are setting people up for success whether that's students um, international students, immigrants. So what we need to do is to ensure that we work together as a government, that the houses are there, the health care is there. And I can tell you, as active minister, people in communities are saying we also need transportation. We have to ensure that people can get to the jobs. So we as a government are taking a whole of government approach And our focus is to ensure that we're setting people up for success, but we're also seizing all of those opportunities that are out there to put Canada in a leadership position to create those good paying jobs for generations to come. We've
0: got 30 seconds left and you mentioned skilled labor. Are we headed towards a skilled labor shortage crisis? Are we already there? And if not, what's being done to avoid it?
4: So we are introducing programs in terms of the immigration piece to fast track those with skilled labor that can, you know, do to take up the areas that are needed here. Building homes is one of them, right? If you don't have the people to build the homes, you're not going to get them built. Um, and taking innovative ways like the announcement we are making today is part of the solution, but absolutely ensuring that we have the skilled labor. There's a number of fronts on the immigration front to ensure that we are fast tracking those skilled labor um, workers that we need, but also on the employment and training front. So we are investing significant amounts of money to ensure that we are providing workers with the training they need in order to take up those jobs that are going to create uh, the homes that are needed and, and other things in terms of the skilled trades front. So again, something that we are working, I'm working with my cabinet colleagues in all of caucus uh, as a government. We want to ensure that we leave nothing on the table, but everything that we um, make the proper investments to ensure we are growing to our strongest ability.
0: Ms. Tassie, appreciate the time this morning. Stay warm.
4: Thank you, Rick. Same to you and your listeners.
0: Thank you very much. Philomena Tassi is the minister responsible for federal economic development here in southern Ontario and also the Liberal MP for Hamilton West, Ancaster, Dundas. The roundtable approaches here on GMH on 900 CHML.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: I hear some cool news. The 118-year-old former power-generating station down in Niagara Falls is set to become a $200 million luxury hotel. CHML reporter Lisa Pileski spoke with David Adames, the CEO of the Niagara Parks Commission.
5: Can you tell me a little bit about the history of this building, the Toronto Power Generating Station? One of the things that struck me as funny is that it's got Toronto in the name, even though it's in Niagara Falls. So what is the story behind this place?
6: Yeah, so at the beginning of the uh, 20th century, there was a competition to build hydroelectric power generating stations on both sides, (coughs) excuse me, both sides of the Niagara River. And uh, there were three power stations built on the Canadian side. The first one being what was called the Rankin Station, which would now turn into a new attraction called the Niagara Parks Power Station. Uh, The second one uh, was the Toronto Power Station built in 1906. The same year, the Ontario Power Generating Station, which is located in the Lower Gorge, was also built. So around the same time, 1905 for the Rankin Station, 1906 for Toronto Power and Ontario Power Generating Station. And Toronto Power operated uh, from 1906 until 1974, and it provided power uh, to communities uh, in Ontario, including some power to uh, to Toronto. Uh, it was designed by E.J. Lennox, a very important architect in Ontario, designed Casa Loma and Old Toronto City Hall as two examples.
5: I know one of those other three stations, the Niagara Parks Power Station, opened fairly recently as a tourist attraction. Can you tell me about how that process went?
6: As part of Niagara Parks' stewardship mandate, so overseeing heritage and environmental uh, opportunities along the Niagara River Corridor, the restoration and the adaptive reuse of the Niagara Parks Power Station really fit directly into our mandate. So between uh, 2020 uh, and 2021, we undertook that adaptive reuse, the restoration of the building, opened the generator hall floor in the evening sound and light show uh, in uh, 2021 and then opened the tunnel, the underground infrastructure in July of 2022. So it's been a, an interesting mix of heritage restoration and creating a new tourism attraction, which again ties directly back to our mandate. And I can share with uh, your listeners, it's been overwhelmingly well received uh, in terms of people coming in and exploring it, uh, whether Folks are interested in architecture or science, technology, engineering, or just the grand scale of the building itself. And of course, the history of of Hydro.
5: Okay, and so now we've got this company called Pearl Hospitality. They're behind businesses like the Ancaster Mill, the Cambridge Mill, and Spencer's on the Waterfront in Burlington. So how did they get involved in the restoration of an old power generating station?
6: So differently than what we did with the Niagara Parks Power Station, where Niagara Parks undertook the, the restoration work, We went out to the private sector uh, with a call for proposals for both Toronto Power and the former Ontario Power generating station uh, to really seek private sector investment and innovation uh, to undertake, and these were the four project objectives. One is to see the restoration of the heritage building. Number two is to create a new visitor experience that does not exist in Niagara or Ontario. Number three was to pay rent to Niagara Parks, which speaks to our uh, self-funded aspect uh, for Niagara Parks. We don't receive any tax dollars. And number four goal was to provide significant uh, economic impact through jobs created during construction for the restoration project and also jobs uh, after the new, uh, the new entity would, would open.
5: Can you tell me how quickly we can expect to see work on this project get underway?
6: The working timeline for this project would see would see construction start in the summer or fall of 2024 and then open the new guest experience in the summer or fall of 2027. So, roughly three and a half plus years away, which in the grand scheme of things isn't that far away. Uh, what's wonderful about this project is visitors and local residents will be able to see the work being undertaken because it's a very visible site. It's right along the Niagara Parkway, just to the south of the iconic Horseshoe Falls. So, a very prominent place uh, in Queen Victoria Park along the Niagara Parkway. So again, everyone will be able to see the progress of the project as it unfolds.
5: And we've talked about there being three old power stations in total around the falls. What about that third location down in the gorge? What's going to happen there?
6: So we are finalizing the evaluation of the bids that Niagara Parks received for the Ontario Power Generating Station, again located uh, to the north of the Horseshoe Falls down in the lower Niagara River in the gorge. So we will be finishing that evaluation process this winter. We hope to have an announcement uh, in the spring of 2024 about next steps on that project as well.
0: That is CHML reporter Lisa Pileski speaking with Niagara Parks Commission CEO David Adames about that new luxury hotel going down at the power generating station, or at least the former generating station. Coming up in a few minutes time, what is the federal government's plan to build more homes in this community and beyond? You'll find out next here on GMH.
1: Listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from nine hundred CHML.
0: Today is Blue Monday, the most depressing day of the year. Well, let's try let's try to pump up your tires and get you feeling good. And to help along with that is Lauren Van Emp, our next guest, a registered psychotherapist at Lock F- uh, Psychotherapy, who joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Lauren, good morning. How are you? Hi Rick, I'm good. Thank you for having me. How are you? I'm I'm good. I know Blue Monday was created by the travel industry to get us mm-hmm. to go to sunny places and get out of the winter blues, but is is there mm-hmm. something to Blue Monday?
7: I think so. I don't know if it's necessarily this specific day, but when you think of all the factors like um the weather, the 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 time after the holidays a lot of people's credit card bills are rolling in and they're not very happy with that um you know it's like about 3 weeks after christmas so new year's resolutions have been likely kind of broken at this point or people are starting to struggle and i think just the accumulation of all of that is what contributes to this this being the specific day but i think in general this time of the year is very hard for a lot of people.
0: And so what's the impact of all this? How how does this lead to people becoming depressed or just not feeling great?
7: Well, I think when the I mean, the weather being a huge one, I think when it's cold and it's dark and we've had a lot of really, really gray weather, really wet weather, it makes it very hard to get outside. So people feel very kind of trapped inside, very hold in. Um and then yeah I think the debt thing is is a lot after the holidays people realize that they spent maybe a little too much money and you know now they're trying to figure out what they do about that um so yeah I think it's a lot of those sorts of things and I think at this time of year it's 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 kind of hard to see the silver lining of spring right it still feels like it's quite far away at this point so Yeah, I think it's really an accumulation of things. And and definitely in my work, we see that with a lot of clients that mood tends to take a bit of a dip, um, usually earlier than this, usually around sort of October, November. Hmm. And that can go anywhere till, you know, April, March, April.
0: And, And is the October, November factor? Is that because people are thinking about what's to come?
7: Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Usually like so seasonal affective disorder is um sort of a stem of of depression and yeah, usually it typically starts sometimes even as early as August because people are starting to anticipate the cold weather and less daylight, less time outside, um that kind of that kind of stuff.
0: Lauren Van Imp is a registered psychotherapist at Locke Psychotherapy and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. We're talking about Blue Monday, the most depressing day of the year. So how do we boost our mood? What are some of uh, the tips that you can share with our listeners this morning?
7: For sure. Yeah, no. So, So one of them being what I already was sort of talking about, and I think it's kind of obvious, but is just trying to get outside as much as you possibly can. So bundling up putting in your headphones, listening to a podcast, listening to CHML um, and just trying to get out, even if it's for a 10 minute quick walk around the block in the morning, over your lunch, in the evening, whatever it is that you can do to get yourself outside. Um, And then also any winter activities. So, you know, skiing, snowboarding, skating, tobogganing. If you have kids, you kind of have to get outside. So trying to get out as much as possible. But even if it's just 10 minutes a day is has a huge impact on
0: mood. What about what about the food or drink that we're yes. consuming?
7: Yeah. I was going to speak to that one too. So I think, um, yeah, just being aware of what what it is you are putting into your body and trying to increase things like vitamin D, because we know we get vitamin D from the sunshine. And when we don't have much much sunshine, we can be pretty deficient in this. So vitamin D is things like dairy and eggs and red meat. Um increasing your vitamin C with fruits, that sort of thing. But I think with this one too, it's also really important to kind of tie in the new year's resolution thing where a lot of people try to kick all of the bad habits. Um, So I think it's, this is the time where you really want to kind of be gentle with yourself, slow down and pick something that feels realistic. So instead of saying, I'm going to eat three salads a day, seven days a week, maybe starting with I'm going to try to have one of my meals be a salad for four days a week, or I'm going to have a smoothie three days a week, or I'm going to try and not snack after 8 p.m. Those sorts of things that are a lot more measurable and they can be a lot more obtainable.
0: Great tips and uh, great advice from Lauren Van Imp, registered psychotherapist at Locke Psychotherapy. Lauren, thank you so much for the time this morning. Uh, be well uh, throughout uh, this month and uh, going forward. Thank
7: you so much. Thanks for having me.
0: That's Lauren Van Imp. Today is Blue Monday, again, the most depressing day of the year. It's just depressing kind of thinking about the most depressing day of the year. But great tips. You know, eat eat better. I know it's a challenge at sometimes, Get some sleep. Maybe pop in some vitamin D or vitamin D3. Get outside while you can when it is sunny. I know that can be challenging for many people, especially if the weather does turn either bitterly cold or extremely snowy. But, uh, hey, there's always uh, a a rainbow to come, at least not this time, not this time of the year, but certainly a a better day when it comes to how you're feeling about your finances, your health. Uh, Things will get better. Trust me, things will get better. Have some faith. And uh, we'll try those tips as well.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. There
0: was a recent HelloFresh study that was released that found the average Canadian has experienced sticker shock at the grocery store. Haven't we all? Six times within the last month. One in six say they experienced sticker shock at least 10 times in the last month. Yeah, I think we've all kind of been there. And the average respondent also has two arguments a month with their family regarding food costs like groceries or ordering delivery. That's not a good place to be. There is some good news, though. There are cost-effective ways to save money when it comes to your food. Chef Corby Sue is the director of culinary at HelloFresh and joins us here on GMH. Chef Corby Sue, good morning. How are you?
8: Good morning, Rick. What a way to start the week. As those holiday bills start to roll in, let's tackle... The thing that we all have to deal with day on day, what are we eating? How are we going to spend our money? I love those facts that you shared at the top. Um, I'll I'll just add on to that, Rick. Uh, Three quarters of the people we spoke to are also at this stage as the holiday bills are coming in. They want to do date night at home. So I've got some ideas as to how we can refresh the recipe repertoire and, uh, yeah, I mean, the fighting about what are we ordering and sticker shock, it's real, my friend.
0: So where should we begin?
8: So, right, I love that you've asked that. You know, in my line of work and really just as my life as a working parent, the first thing, plan. So I've got three hot tips. Um, number one, what is your actual budget? And I know it's easier said than done, but I think this is where you have that hard, real conversation with yourself. What's my budget? What are recipes or meals that I know uh, I like or my family like? What ingredients do I need? Before you write your shopping list, actually check your pantry and fridge. You'd be surprised at how many people don't actually look at what they've already got on hand. I've got some tips about ingredients that can do Uh, double duty as well. And then Rick, third, but certainly um, last but not least, is write a shopping list. And my best advice this time of year, any time of year, is really try and stick to that. And when you get to the grocery store, if you're going to buy something outside of that shopping list, ask yourself, are there three ways that I could use this ingredient? And if the answer is yes, then friends, give yourself permission to buy that extra ingredient because you've made a commitment, I'm going to be able to use this.
0: You mentioned the word planning and without meal planning, you're kind of just like, probably like most of us, wandering around the grocery store (laughs) thinking, what am I going to make tonight?
8: Yeah, absolutely. Look, I think we can get inspiration from lots of different places, whether you're uh, Googling recipes, um, maybe you've been to friends or family, and they've put together a meal that you really like. Ask them, hey, how did you make this? Of course, we all have a handful of recipes we're comfortable with. I mean, it might be a meal kit service that can support you along the way, but planning, really just knowing, okay, here are the recipes, that we're. and I always refer to meals as recipes because To me, that's what they are. Here's what we're going to eat this week. And as I said, do your best to stick to your budget. But, you know, Rick, I've said something before about ingredients that can do double duty. So you might have a recipe that asks for something unusual that maybe you don't have in your pantry. I'll just, for, for the heck of it, I'll say maybe it is capers. Now capers give a little bit of salt, a little brightness, but maybe you don 't have that, and maybe you don't want to spend the money on that. So you know you could use lemon, you could use pickles. You see what I'm saying? So if you can look at some ingredients that maybe you could actually swap out, and then with the planning, I mean you can get you can get the family involved. Um, maybe it's you know your youngest one is going to wash. The produce that you're going to be using in the recipe, or your teenage um, one is going to set the table, get everyone involved in the actual planning, or parts of what the, the eating experience, I'll and, put it like that. And why is that important? Yeah. I think a meal prepared and shared together is really giving your family, it's a life skill uh, also, hopefully, it's sharing the responsibility. Um, and I just think, look, I've done that myself. And even though I, as I shared, I'm a working parent, I'm a chef, I also have always had to ask the question what's for dinner tonight? So, <laughs> how do I get my kids engaged? And I've got older kids now who thankfully can cook. And, you know, are part of that experience at home.
0: Chef Corby Sue is with us, Director of Culinary at HelloFresh. We're talking about ways you can save some money at the grocery store and, well, eat better as well. And a big part of that is food storage. We as a nation yeah. throw away a lot of food. What uh, what advice can you share on that? You're so right.
8: Um, Rick, I like to say that the the work doesn't start and finish uh, buying the groceries, the work still happens when you get home. So again, this is whoever all hands on deck, get them involved. So there's some really simple things that you can do at home. Um, when you bring home leafy greens, so anything with high water content, your romaine lettuce, maybe it's some fresh parsley, grab um, a fresh tea towel or a bit of paper towel, depending on where you sit there, and wrap those leafy greens up and put them back in uh, the plastic bag that you've probably bought them home in. Or if you haven't used plastic, um, just wrap them in that fresh tea towel or paper towel, put them in the fridge. Uh, that will absolutely prolong the life of your leafy green because what it does is help keep that moisture in and stop, the obviously, the moisture escaping. Um, even your, if you buy something in bulk, now is the time to, you know, you can freeze. And to be honest with you, Rick, I mean, I'm doing this all throughout the year. So when there was a, an abundance of peaches from the Niagara region, um, I canned peaches. So I'm actually making a peach loaf once I get off the phone from you. So that's mm-hmm. another way. Um, you could also pickle. So funnily enough, parsnips are in, bund- in abundance. I love parsnips. Um, I, so, you know, I bought extra. I froze. Some, so I chopped them up in, into cubes. I froze some. Um, I've actually blanched some and I've pickled them. Pickled parsnips is actually um, a really nice sort of uh, condiment. Uh, you could do that with carrots. So you've got pickling, um, even canning this time of year, although it does tend to be more a summer, um, autumn uh, thing to do, and freezing. And then here's a hot tip uh, roast potatoes. So you can actually roast potatoes, let them cool down on a tray, and then put them in a, in a plastic bag and put them in the freezer. Mm-hmm. And you can keep roast potatoes up to uh, four to six weeks in your freezer. Wow. You can come sure. home. Yep, there you go. I was going to say, <laughs> Chef
0: Corby Su, you have us salivating. You also have us uh, up our next break here as well. But uh, I encourage our listeners to check out HelloFresh and uh, see if they can uh, battle that food fatigue and maybe save a little money on the way. Chef Corby Su, thanks for the time this morning.
8: Thanks,
0: Rick. Chef Corby Sue is the director of culinary at Hello Fresh, and hopefully uh, with some great tips to help you save a little cash at the grocery store. Coming up, a McMaster researcher calling for more help to protect seniors from COVID. We'll tell you why next here on GMH on 900 CHML.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: Before you know it, I know it's I know it's mid-January, but before you know it, tax season is going to be right around the corner, and. With each and every year there seems to be some new things to be aware of. So I thought it would be a pretty good time to kick off this uh, segment talking about taxes. I know it's our most favorite subject ever, isn't it? <laughs> Not really. Jerry Vitortos is a national tax specialist with You File and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Jerry, good morning. How are you? Good morning. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm 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 pleasant today on this uh, chilly Monday morning. It is uh, mid January as is now a good time to be thinking about tax season, or is it a little too early?
3: Uh, every every day is a good time. Maybe maybe that's just for me. Maybe, but uh, <laughs> I would say I would say uh, you know tax uh, producing your tax return is basically a year round process. That's what I would say. A lot of people think that it's always oh well it's only about three or four months out of the year, but believe it or not, there are things and events that happen throughout the year that are essentially tax events. So, for example, when you have medical expenses throughout the year. These are amounts that you can use uh, to claim uh, tax credits on your tax return. But if you don't log these things properly throughout the year, uh, then you won't be able to maximize your tax return. So what I always tell people is that they should always be thinking about their tax returns throughout the year. And the trick I always give people is you know, create a folder on January 1st of every single year. Stick any receipt or any document you think It can relate to your tax return. That way you have everything ready when the actual tax season comes.
0: So what are some of those documents that people don't really think of when it comes to tax season, those things that they should be tucking away month in and month out?
3: So I would say it's always receipts. It's always uh, stuff, that, uh, stuff that are expenses for them during the year. The typical one would be medical expenses. Uh, for example, you go to your dentist in the month of February. Uh, well, again, that, that receipt for the month of February is eligible as, uh, for the medical expense credit on your tax return. Another typical example would be donations throughout the year. So we always, So I know a lot of people that are listening to us, they give a monthly donation. It's a monthly installment every single year uh, to their favorite charity. Well, those amounts are all also deductible on your tax return. A lot of times, the charitable organizations, they'll give you a receipt right away once they get proof of payment from you. They won't give you just uh, an amount at the end of the year. So that's why it's important to really log these things properly throughout the year. Now, the,
0: the dental receipt um,
3: example that you gave for February, would that be saved for next year or can you claim it this year? It would be for next year. Okay. So anything that deals with expenses whether it's donations or whether it's medical expenses, it's always the calendar year. So that's the key so you have to log it properly so if you if you had your expense let's say let's say right now we're January 2024 uh, you went to your dentist you paid an expense uh, that amount is eligible for when you're filing your tax return next year which is your 2024 tax return.
0: Asides from uh, going to the dentist, are there other deductions that people don't necessarily capitalize on?
3: Well, a lot of times I would say it would be RSP. Uh, believe it or not, mm-hmm. because again, a lot of the uh, um, uh, your financial institution will cut your receipt when you make when they get the proof of payment. A lot of times that's what these uh, financial institutions will do, and, and a lot of times they might miss out on those expenses. Uh, So the the typical example as well is the first 60 days of the year. This is where an RSP is a little different from your medical or your donations is that the first 60 days of the year, they count towards your previous year. But a lot of people don't realize that those first 60 days, they're actually for 2023 and not for 2024. And they miss out and then they have to do a whole lengthy process of adjusting their previous year's tax return to account for those those
0: expenses. Talking about tax season with Jerry Vitorito. a national tax specialist with you file you're listening to good morning hamilton on 900 chml before we know it tax season tax filing season is going to be here what's new for 2024 when it comes to maybe benefits
3: uh well it's not necessarily so much for benefits we did have the grocery tax uh tax uh credit uh, which was a doubling of the gst credit the one thing that the one thing that did change uh, quite a bit, it was more administrative, which is the Canada workers benefit, which is a refundable credit on your tax return, ordinarily workers with a lower income. essentially workers who are transitioning into uh, the working market. so somebody who is let's say a student and now is getting into the working market or somebody who was on welfare and now has gotten a job, they would be entitled to a refundable credit uh, a refundable credit on their working income, what the government decided to do last year is to pay half of that credit in advance as a benefit as a quarterly benefit similar to the gst uh, so uh, these individuals there was there was no need to apply for these benefits the government simply paid them out automatically the moment you were eligible in the previous year uh, so that, that's what was new as far as the benefit uh, side of things
0: in our final minute together is
3: it uh, when it comes to filing our taxes is the, uh, the earlier the better Uh, I would say yes, as much as possible, because quite frankly, uh, most Canadians have a refund usually. With the government, uh, right? They've usually overpaid on their tax. That's really what a tax return is, right? You're you're checking whether you've overpaid or underpaid on your on your taxes throughout the year, and you pay these taxes uh, throughout the year. Uh, so the key is to file as early as possible to get your refund, get that cash. I'm sure a lot of listeners right now they have debts right now, whether it's uh you know an increasing mortgage debt that's coming in, uh, or whether it is a consumer debt that they have. There is no reason to keep that refund in the government's hands, Uh, collect that refund as soon as possible, and put it to good use, put it into paying off those debts. Absolutely. Great advice, Jerry. Appreciate the time this
0: morning. Have a great day. Thank you for having me. Jerry Vitortos is a national tax specialist with Ufile and yeah, before you know it, you'll be filing your taxes.
1: Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 5:30 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900chml.com.
0: The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's 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 free so you never miss an episode and make sure you rate and review.